Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the USA Wealth Group's wonderful Money Wise radio show with Ray Lance, who gives us all of the latest information on how to protect our assets. And you know, Ray, this is more of a public service than it is uh, any other kind of show because you do so much good for our community. Well, thank you so much, Phil. And good morning to you. Good morning to our special guest, John Lally, CPA from Fairhaven. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, John. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning we're going to be talking about some very important tax planning tips for 2015, things that you should know and make notes on if you want to about how you can save money and make more money by proper tax planning. So it's a very complicated subject, and uh, we're uh, really pleased that we have John as a guest this morning. At the end of last year, we had John on uh, and talked about some tax-saving things that could be done at year-end. But now we'd like to make people think a little bit more about what can you do at the beginning of the year so that you won't pay any more taxes than you absolutely have to. Paying taxes is a necessary thing. It's a requirement of law, but nobody needs to pay more taxes than they have to. And if you plan properly, then you can save more money and not pay taxes. So many people in our past, Phil, have said wonderful things about taxes. For example, uh, Plato said, where there is an income tax, the just man will pay more and the unjust less on the same income. Ooh, he knew (laughs) <laughs> yes, he did. And, you know, some of the smartest people in the world uh, have found the Internal Revenue Code to be very, very difficult to understand. And uh, even all the way back to Sophocles. Now, Sophocles wrote Antigone, for example, and he said, as far as money goes, there is nothing in the world so demoralizing as money. He also said wisdom outweighs any wealth. So hopefully we're going to give a little bit of wisdom today and talk about taxes. Do you know who said you need a 1040 IQ to figure out the tax code? No. Who said that? John Lally, I think. John Lally said that. (laughs) Well, that sounds probably right. (laughs) Well, with that as a good introduction, let me just say that uh, John Lally is a CPA. He's uh, at 69 Alden Road in Fairhaven, Mass., uh, his telephone is 508-992-6500, and a formal welcome to you this morning, John. Thank you again, Ray. And it's great to be here. Do you specialize in any particular area? For example, you do both individual residential uh, homeowners and consumers as well as businesses, I believe? Yes, I do. I specialize in working with small businesses and work closely with them and help them understand their finances and their taxes. Okay. And do you have a website that people can visit also if they want more information about your company? Yes, I do. My website is www.jtlcpa.net. And JTL stands for John T. Lally. Yes, it does. Obviously. <laughs> Good. Well, let's, let's begin. And um, we'd like to talk about some tax savings things that we can do for 2015. And uh, let's begin by... Keeping records. Keeping records is one of the most important things that we can do. Yes, it is. As well, some of these ideas relate to your 2014 taxes that you'll be filing by April 15th as well. Because we have a system of self-reporting in this country. That is, you fill out the information on your own income taxes, and theoretically you could put down anything you want, but if you put down something that's incorrect, 
you have to be able to prove it later. And therefore, keeping records is essential. So, for example, let's say you want to donate some property or you have donated some property to a charity. Uh, what kind of records should you keep and for what items? Well, it also depends upon the amount that you're giving away. All right. Uh, if you give away less than $250, you need some type of bank record, such as a canceled check or a credit card, transa- uh, credit card transaction. That's if you're donating money, for example, to a charity? Yes. Okay. So if you donate cash, you should, re- you should really get a receipt in order to deduct that amount. All right, but what if you're donating something like to the Salvation Army or Goodwill or clothing or household items or toys or bicycles, things of that nature? What kind of records do you get when you do that? Well, you should have a listing of the property that you donated, uh, when you bought it, how much you paid for it, and then what the value was on the date that you donated it. And then you should get a receipt from that organization as well. All right. So that's the important thing, isn't it? You have to have a receipt uh, from the organization. You can't. So if you put something in a box, for example, a collection box, nobody's going to be able to give you a receipt for that. True. All right. Well, there are a number of collection centers around, so that shouldn't be too difficult. Now, what about if you have a car? Most people have some kind of a vehicle or a motorcycle. Um, you have to pay excise taxes. You get a receipt for that typically? Yes, you do. Or at least you'd have your canceled check if you pay with a check. All right. What about somebody who's in business, for example? I, I would think that would be a little bit more interesting because if you're running your own business, you want to keep track of every expense that you possibly can because that's going to reduce your income for tax purposes. So what about having a car in business? Uh, do you have to keep track of mileage? Yes, you do. It, and that depends. If the business owns the car, then you should keep track of all the mileage, both personal and business. All right. And then just the business portion would get deducted. If the business doesn't own the car, then you can just keep track of the business mileage and then deduct that amount on your taxes. All right. So what's the best way to do that? Should you just keep a little logbook in your car? Would that be a good way to do it? That is, yes. So as you're driving around on on your business trips, keep track of where you're going, the mileage, and as well the purpose of that visit. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether you're going to visit a customer, going to the post office, or whatever. All right. What what kind of other business expenses can you deduct that you might want to keep a record of? Like, what are some of the normal employee business expenses? Uh, would it be, for example, for um, office supplies would be clear, but then you'd be writing the business check for that, wouldn't you, typically? Right. The best way to do it, if you have your own business, is to have a separate checking account for that business and then just put all the business income and expenses through that checkbook, and then you have a record of everything. All right. And what, what if you go out to a restaurant and you bring somebody to lunch and you want to be able to deduct the cost of the meal? Uh, can you deduct the cost of your own meal as well as the person that you're taking out to lunch, for example? Yes, you can. Uh, unfortunately, that type of deduction is limited to 50% of the amount of the meal. It's just something Congress came up with to you know, limit meals and entertainment expenses. I guess that makes sense in a way because when you think about it, if you're going to be eating lunch yourself anyway, then maybe you shouldn't be able to deduct the cost of your own meal. I suppose that's the theory behind it. Well, no, I think it's more of a revenue raiser as well, too. If you can only deduct half, then you're going to end up paying more taxes. So you know, the IRS gets more money. Now, the real interesting question is, I wonder if Congress does the same thing. <laughs> like, I mean, if a congressman or a senator goes out to lunch, uh, who, 
How do they deduct their expenses, I wonder? That would be an interesting that, question to ask, wouldn't it? a great question. I wonder if they have their own dining room, too. Of course they do. <laughs> well, if they do, do they have to declare that as, uh, as income, or is that just a perk that they get? I would imagine that's a perk that they get. Okay, they, so I, they, they write their own rules, and they have a great retirement plan as well. Yes, they do. <laughs> Did you know that you can serve in Congress for one two-year term and still get a full retirement pension and all the perks and benefits and health insurance and everything else? It's quite the racket. They really have the tax code set up for themselves. Yes. So if you want to really make out well, as far as the Internal Revenue Service is concerned, run for Congress. <laughs> that would be my motto, right? Oh, Ray, Ray, back to those meals and entertainment. Again, if you bring a customer out and you have the business purpose for the meal and you document it, you get to write off half of that amount. Mm-hmm. But if you do some type of company outing, you bring in lunch for employees or something like that, where it's just employees or possibly the families, that deduction, you get 100% of the write-off. Okay, and that's not, good. Not everybody know. knows that. So yeah. That's a good fact to know. Well, I didn't know that myself, but at the end of last year, for example, we had an office Christmas party and took everyone out to lunch at the airport grill, which was a lovely place to eat, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's fully deductible then. Right. So sometimes... Something like that, you should put into a separate account and call that, you know, 100% deductible meals versus if you're bringing out a customer, then that's only 50%. Okay. So that's and where the proper record keeping comes in place. All right. Well, that's good to know. Now, what about if somebody has an office in their home? Home office expenses has always been sort of a tricky area. Let's say they have a 2,300 square foot home and they have a home office that's 300 square feet. Can they take the ratio of that square footage? Um, how do you determine, can you write off heat expense, real estate taxes, mortgage interest? I'm not familiar with those rules myself. Maybe you can enlighten us. Well, if, it, if you have a home office that's used exclusively for business, meaning you can't use that same space for personal purposes at, at any point, it has to be 100% for business, mm-hmm. then you can write off that percentage of the expenses. So. If that was, let's say, 10% of the home, you would write off 10% of your homeowner's insurance, repairs, utilities, telephone, everything. Hmm. You know, I've never done that before, but uh, that's something that I should probably look into myself because sure. I do have a home office, and I try to avoid it because um, I have a lot of papers there I have to clean up. But um, that's that's something that is only used for business purposes. When I use it, I use the computer there strictly for emails and I do a fair amount of work at home. But I couldn't deduct, for example, the cost of my den where I sit and watch television at night and work occasionally on a file in my lap. Correct. Okay. Well, okay, so that's an interesting rule. But I bet a lot of people don't think about deducting the cost of an an area that's actually dedicated space. But it has to be used exclusively for business. All right. So now, are there any particular rules that give actual guidelines? Like sometimes there's something called a safe harbor rule, for example. Yes, that's a relatively new rule where instead of keeping track of all your various expenses, you can write off uh, $5 per square foot on a maximum of 300 square feet of space. So your maximum deduction is $1,500. So the best thing to do really is to run the numbers, look at the safe harbor amount of $1,500 if you qualify for that versus the actual expenses. And see which is see, more. See which is more. Hmm. Very good. Um, when we talk about tax planning, uh, gosh, there's so many things to talk about this morning. Um, 
let's talk for a moment about child care expenses. Let's say you work and you have to take care of your own child um, and you pay for daycare expenses. Is that a deductible expense if you itemize your deductions? Well, it's actually a credit instead of a deduction. So with that, you would want to keep track of the child care provider, their name, address, and social security number or employer ID number. You need all of that to put on the form to get the credit for it. All right. Well, credit is actually even better than a, a deduction, isn't it? Yes, it is. Because a credit is a direct reduction of the tax that's due, whereas a deduction is a general deduction against income, and you don't get the full value. It depends upon what your tax bracket is. Correct. So a credit is very valuable. I wonder how many people don't realize that, and I guess you can take a credit whether you itemize your deductions or not. Yes, you can. Hmm. So if you're listening today, ladies and gentlemen, and you take care of a child and you put them in daycare, for example, uh, then the cost of the daycare, is it the full cost or is there any limitation on that? Well, you get the full cost, but then the credit is a percentage of those costs. So for most people, it runs about 20%. Okay. And if you're lower income, then the percentage would go up possibly to 25 or 30%. But that's still a very valuable thing. So the message here is that even if you don't have enough itemized deductions, maybe you're not a homeowner, so you don't have a mortgage interest deduction, for example, and real estate tax deduction. So maybe you don't have enough deductions to itemize your deductions, but you can still claim a credit for child care expenses. Okay, well, that's very important to know. Uh, my own son uh, uh, does that, for example. They pay for child care. Both he and his wife work. You know, Albert Einstein once said, the hardest thing in the world to understand is the income tax. This is from one of the smartest men in the world, a physicist. Maybe he was the one who said you need a 1040 IQ. <laughs> That might have been, but I'm going to track that down, Phil. I'm, I want to find out who said that because I think I've heard that before. Or maybe I heard it from you. <laughs> well, what happens What happens if you have a, a 401K? You need a 401K IQ? <laughs> maybe. Yes, you do. <laughs> There's so many rules it's Very complicated. Or if you lose money in your 401K, do you need a 201K <laughs> IQ? So well, we could go far afield with that. You know, there was a, a United States Senator, Warren Magnuson, who once said that if Einstein and the agents of the Internal Revenue Service cannot understand the tax code, then the ordinary taxpayers of the U.S. are entitled to a little help. Mm-hmm. So if you want help, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with whether it's tax planning or tax preparation, please give a call to John Lally, our CPA guest today, who's kind enough to give us some time so we can talk about some real specific rules for tax planning. And, John, you're in um, 69 Alden Road in Fairhaven. What's your phone number there? It's 508-992-6500. Okay. And um, I know when you were on the show the last time with us, we talked about the fact that both you and I have something in common. We really enjoy taxes. We enjoy talking about them. To me, it's like doing a Scrabble game or something like that. It's just a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Um, when I can solve a tax question or a tax problem or a planning tax problem, I mean, it gets me excited. Um, I'm not sure if that makes me a dull man or makes you a dull man, John, but boy, it's good that some people enjoyed working with taxes, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, I enjoy taxes too, and, and there's nothing better than saving somebody money on their taxes. Yep. You feel like you've really done a 
Good job, Father. Yeah, and you know, you're doing what's right within the law, but at the same time, you're doing something that's very helpful to people. So let's continue on with our discussion today. Um, what about student loan interest? Let's say you have a student who's gone to college, they've taken out a student loan, and now they have to pay the student loan back when they go to work. Or you're an adult working and you have student loans to pay off. Uh, is the repayment of the student loan deductible or just the interest portion, perhaps? Uh, just the interest portion. And as with so many IRS rules, you can only deduct it if you fall within certain income guidelines. So if your income is too high, you get no deduction. All right. So there's like a, a phase out or something for it. Yes, then. there is. Uh, but what's good about that, too, is that deduction shows up on page one of your return. So you do not need to itemize deductions in order to get that student loan interest deduction. All right, that's a very important point. So again, if you uh, didn't hear that, I'm going to mention that once again. You don't have to itemize your deductions to be able to deduct student loan interest. Correct. Very good. So that's sort of the same category as uh, child care then, isn't it? Yes. All right. Well, that's. I'm glad that we asked that question. Um, let's talk about IRAs and tax planning. I do a lot of work in the area of... Um, IRA planning for people. We help people who have 401k plans and perhaps they retire and then it's time to take the money out of the 401k and do a rollover. So we help people on the retirement side. And it's very easy from my perspective because we're taking funds from a 401k account or a 403b account if somebody were a teacher, for example, and then we roll it over into an IRA account because you have many more investment options. But that's a tax-free event, so I don't worry about the taxes on that. But when it comes time to putting money into an IRA account or a qualified retirement account, a 401k, boy, there's a lot of really important things that we can do. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how to save money on your income taxes by contributing to an IRA. Now, I know we've got uh, certain deadlines for uh, this year, 2015. how much can you contribute typically to an IRA account? Well, if you qualify, you can contribute up to $5,500 into a traditional or a Roth IRA account. Right. And then if you're age 50 or over in 2014, then you can contribute an extra $1,000 for a total of $6,500. Mm-hmm. And you said something very important. You said if you qualify, because not everybody can qualify to put money into an IRA account, right? You have to be working, first of all, or have income coming in. Right. You need what's called earned income from wages or self-employment income. All right. So it's not just if you have interest in the bank, for example, and you're earning a lot of interest and you want to say, well, I've got income coming in, and therefore I want to put some money into an IRA. It has to be earned income. Correct. Interest, the IRS terms as unearned income. Okay, so interest is unearned income. But if you're able to put money into an IRA account, it does two wonderful things for you. Number one, you're putting aside money for retirement. And one of the things that we do a lot of is to show people where to place the money. And the second thing it does is it gives you, in the case of a traditional IRA, gives you a tax deduction. Yes, it does. So you can reduce your income taxes. Um, do you uh, sometimes help people set up an IRA account or direct them like to go to a bank or a financial planner or something of that nature? Yeah, I would direct them to go to a bank or a financial planner if they were working with one. Mm-hmm. 
Also, another point, too, we talked about itemized deductions. Again, you do not need to itemize in order to deduct an IRA. All right. So, again, there's another important thing that even if you cannot itemize your deductions because you don't have enough itemized deductions to claim, uh, then you can still deduct the cost of the IRA contribution, and that comes off gross income then, I guess, doesn't it? Yes, it does. All right. Um, Have you ever seen situations where IRAs might have been set up for uh, teenagers? Yes, I have, and that's a great idea because with the power of compounding, that account will grow and grow, and those teenagers could be quite wealthy when they retire. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we have a chance to advise grandparents who would like to make gifts to children and grandchildren, and we will often tell them, well, instead of just writing a check to them, why don't you let us help you set up an IRA account for that child or that grandchild? Because if you do that, now they're going to have some very important uh, retirement funds when they go to retire, as opposed to just writing a check to them and then having them spend the money and and it's, it's gone. Right, and if it's a teenager who would typically be in a very low tax bracket, the best thing, usually the best thing for them to do is put it into a Roth IRA account. Mm-hmm. With the Roth IRA, they don't get a tax reduction today, but they probably don't need it. Uh, but then when the money comes out when they're retired, that money comes out tax-free. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to come back in just a minute. I want to continue talking about IRA contributions because there's some really interesting things that can be done, but I would like to leave you with one thought before we break for the half hour here. Uh, in the... Um, the book, Gone with the Wind, which was made into a very famous movie, obviously, written by Margaret Mitchell, one of the uh, lines inside the book and inside the movie was, death and taxes and childbirth, there's never any convenient time for any of them. <laughs> and the same thing is true for taxes. Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about more than just IRAs, but we are going to continue talking about taxes because... When we come back and continue our discussions with John Lally, CPA from Fairhaven, we want to talk about some additional things that you can think about doing for saving money for 2015 in taxes. We will be right back. Welcome back to USA Wealth Group's Money Wise Radio Show with Ray Lance. What a great informative first half. You know, Phil... Um, again, we're we're really pleased to have with us this morning uh, John Lally, who's a CPA from Fairhaven, and this is a topic that you can't learn enough about, right? Because if you hear something today that you hadn't heard before, or maybe it sinks in because you've heard it for the third or fourth time, take advantage of some opportunity to give myself or give John Lally a call, and if you have a tax question that you need answered, we'd be happy to provide some information for you on that. You know, uh, either John or I would welcome you as a client, obviously, to help you with your your planning needs and uh, tax reporting needs in the case of John. But gosh, there's so many interesting things, and this is a a subject of great passion for both John and myself. You know, we love talking about taxes and how to save money on taxes. All you have to do is watch the fire in our eyes. Um, Anyway, these are right. So let's let's go back and talk for a moment about. uh, uh, education credits and child care credits. Uh, I think you mentioned you might have a couple of other points you wanted to talk about on that, John. Yes, uh, the education, educational tax credits and deduction for tuition, too. Uh, both of those, again, you do not need to itemize your deductions in order to get the tax credit or the deduction. Uh, in most cases, depending upon your income, you might qualify for educational tax credits, which can amount up to 
$2,500 per student. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if, if your income is too high for that credit, you might qualify for the tuition deduction, which is $4,000 per student. And again, that uh, you don't need to itemize your deductions in order to get that right off. All right. And we help people sometimes with things called 529 plans, which is a way to put aside money for education that allows it to grow without having to pay any taxes at all on the interest. So it accumulates tax-free. And when the money comes out, it's also uh, tax-free. So you don't pay income taxes on it. You don't get a deduction for that, though, when you put money into a 529 plan. There's also something called uh, an ESA, a Coverdell Education Savings Account. That's a little bit similar to using a 529 plan. It's something for education. Um, But um, talking about what kinds of things can be deducted as education credits or deductions, I know we have something called the American Opportunity Credit. Uh, this is a little bit more complicated, but 100% of the first, is it $2,000 or is it $2,500 now? Um, this is a tax credit, again, for various types of uh, tuition and related expenses. And then it's also the first 100% of the first $2,000 and 25% of the next $2,000 of expenses. The maximum credit is $2,500 per year. Uh, this Correct. particular credit is available now through 2017. So again, it's a credit. Uh, there's a lifetime learning credit. And don't overlook the possibility that some of these things can be deducted on your income taxes. Uh, I shouldn't use the word deductions. They're actually a credit. But um, there are many, many tools. So if you are involved in Paying your own tuition or paying tuition for somebody else, you need to investigate these things. At some point in the future, we're going to do a whole show, by the way, on education, Phil. We're going to talk about how to finance education, how to apply for scholarships and loans and what sources are available. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a subject for a whole uh, hour by itself. So let's move on for a minute. And we've been talking a little bit about IRAs also uh, this morning, jumping around a little bit here. But IRA planning is extremely important. The one thing about the IRA, if you qualify because you have earned income and you can deduct, I guess, up to the amount of your earned income, but not more than $5,500 on a traditional IRA. Correct. So you can't, if you had $10,000 of income or more, for example, you can deduct the full cost of the IRA. Right, the $5,500. Traditional IRA. Traditional. And again, if you are 50 or over, you can deduct up to $6,500. Right. And something really important about this deduction, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is early in the year, and a lot of people still haven't received the W-2s or their 1099s yet, so they're not quite ready to start doing their income taxes. But there is also the ability to make a payment into an IRA account in this year, in 2015, and have it apply as a deduction against 2014 income. Yes, you have until April 15th of 2015 in order to make an IRA deduction for 2014. So in other words, if you haven't yet filed your income tax return, uh, you have until April 15th to be able to still make a tax-deductible contribution to an IRA account and help reduce some of your income for 2014. And you can do that for, if you're married, you can do it for both husband and wife. You could also do that even if... Let's say the husband is working and the wife is not. Um, 
you can do it really for the benefit of both, correct? Yes, there's a provision in the tax law called a spousal IRA that if the spouse doesn't have any wages, they can do the IRA based upon the taxpayer's wages. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've helped people do that over the years and say, you know, if you have some extra money and you want to do a contribution to an IRA, not only are you helping your retirement account, but you're going to help your taxes. And I've done that myself in the office and told people how to do that. So good tax planning strategies, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yes. And by doing the spousal IRA, you're effectively doubling up. So you could do the 5,500 times two or $11,000. Now, what if you have a spouse and a girlfriend? Can you do it for the girlfriend too? No, you cannot. No, you cannot. (laughs) So you have to be married. (laughs) That was a generic question. Just wanted to see if you're awake. <laughs> um, now, uh, same-sex couples that are married have the same tax abilities to do any of these things that we're talking about. Yes, they do. And um, that's a now a matter of federal law, and the state laws will typically follow that as well. So uh, just remember that possibility. Well, um, Make some IRA contributions if you can afford to do it. Of course, when you do a Roth contribution, that is not a deductible contribution. Correct. But when the money comes out later from the Roth IRA, nobody pays anything on income taxes on it. Right. That's both for the original money you put in plus the earnings on it. Mm -hmm. That's what makes the Roth so powerful. Right. So we'll happy to talk to you about any of those features, and so would John Lally, our CPA uh, friend and guest this morning. Let's talk a little bit about capital gains. It's always good to think about capital gains going forward. If you happen to have assets that maybe have gone down in value and you're going to sell it and take a loss, you can offset capital gains against capital losses. And that's a good planning technique to use, right? Yes, it sure is. That way you don't end up paying the capital gains taxes on your gains. Mm -hmm. And you can also... Uh, deduct an additional $3,000 if you're married of losses in excess of your gains. And if you have more losses than that, you can carry them forward to future years if they exceed that $3,000. Okay, so the $3,000 you can deduct if you're married. What if you're a single person? Can you do the same thing? I think you can do that as a single person. I think you can do that as too. Well. But it's, if you're married filing separate, then that would be $1,500. Okay, yep, that makes more sense. Yep, I understand that. I was thinking... There are a lot of features about marriage that somebody would consider a loss, but taxes is not one of them, right? We get to deduct taxes. And, um, okay, so let's let's talk for a little bit about, uh, we're not going to continue to discuss uh, capital gains and capital losses in detail because we'll put everybody to sleep who's listening. But we do want to let people know that how you plan the timing you know, of those things is extremely important. Now, um, when we talk about accelerating deductions, um, you know, I remember last year at the end of the year, we were talking about the fact that we could accelerate some deductions that you're going, things you're going to have to pay in 2015 back into 2014. And as long as you paid it, like, let's say you make a, a pledge to your church, for example, um, maybe you could prepay that um, ahead of time and be able to claim it as a deduction in the prior year. But I guess it would be a better strategy, wouldn't it, to be just planning those things out about how you want to do that during the course of the year. And um, uh, now, Yes, it would. That way you control your deductions and your cash flow. And if there was a year where your income was you know, less than usual, that might be a year where you want to wait and maybe make the, that 
deduction in the next in the next taxable year. Now, do you sometimes sit down with business owners and talk about the timing of when they should purchase equipment or the timing of when they should purchase a car, for example, things of that nature? Yes, I do that all the time. Typically, I would meet with most of my clients in October, November, December of the year and try to plan out those things. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, do you find that most business people are really savvy when it comes to taxes? Do they think typically in, in terms of how they're going to spend their money during the course of the year? Do they budget? Do they lay out uh, expense items with a view towards taking deductions? I find most of them know the basics, but they don't know all the ins and outs, and that's where they, they come to me for that, that advice. That's where they need you? Yes. Okay, good. Um, now, in the past, I know we've had something called a manufacturer's deduction, which would allow um, a certain percentage of what you pay for equipment to be able to take a deduction from that. Um, does that sometimes cause people to go out and spend money because they have to put equipment into business anyway? Well, the manufacturer's deduction, that's not based on equipment. That's based upon your net income for the year. Okay. So, and for instance, if you had a manufacturer and all of your activities were in manufacturing and you made $100,000 for the year, you would get a 9% deduction or $9,000 additional deduction on top of all your other deductions for that. All right. Uh, but not everybody knows that the manufacturer's deduction is broader than just manufacturer's. If you are a construction contractor or a civil, civil engineering company or something like that that's also involved with construction, you also get that tax deduction as well. All right. So not all service businesses could do that. Correct. But if you had something but, that was related to manufacturing or related to construction, you could be uh, a service business that, like an architectural firm possibly? Yes, architecture as well. Hmm. And not everybody knows of that deduction. Wow, that's interesting. Mm. Um, and Very, yeah. I've heard of it before, but I never knew a lot of detail about it. So that's that's really useful to know. Um, what about fringe benefits and things of that nature? What about um, health services accounts? Um, do you find that companies tend to set up uh, HSAs, health service accounts, for their employees? I find the health savings accounts just starting to catch on now. Um, Something I've seen over the last couple of years, more and more businesses are doing those. And is that like an alternative to having traditional health insurance? For example, in our office, we pay the cost of health insurance for the employees, and that's a normal deductible expense that we can take. Right. The health savings account, or HSA for short, is a complement to your health insurance. So you need to be enrolled in what's called a high-deductible plan mm-hmm. in order to qualify for the health savings account. Okay. And high deductible is typically, I think, 1000 or two for a single plan and then probably 2000 or more for a family plan. All right. Well, some of these are, are fairly uh, tough topics, obviously, but they're all very useful. And I just want to remind people that we can't begin to cover the a range of things that can be uh, discussed relating to taxes. I also would like to remind people that you're listening to MoneyWise, and our office is located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. And our goal in our office is not only to help people with tax planning. We don't do income tax returns, but we help people in the tax planning side. And we do a lot of work in the area of showing people how to protect their assets and protect their family. 
and particularly we do a lot of work with retirement accounts. So do you counsel people generally, John, uh, to make sure they put away as much money as they can for retirement? Do you, do you have business owners, for example, who are asking for advice on how to set up money for retirement purposes? Yes, that's a question I often get. And retirement plans is one of the few areas where people can still get additional deductions that they're looking for within the, today's tax code. They've taken away so many deductions that retirement plans are one of the one of the last deductions. Okay. So, for example, we were just talking about the fact that you can make an IRA contribution in this year, 2015, and have it apply back for against income in 2014, the prior year. Can you do that with some of the other retirement accounts too, like a, a SEP IRA, for example, or a simple IRA? Uh, yes, you can. Something like the SEP IRA, which stands for Self-Employed Persons, SEP. You can actually set that account up in 2015 okay. and fund it before you file your taxes or you pay the money in and get a tax deduction for 2014. Mm. Uh, versus some other plans, such as a 401k plan, we have to have the plan itself set up in 2014 in order to get a tax deduction. Now, you can make the contribution in 2015 and get the tax deduction, but the plan had to have been established in 2014. Okay, that's a very important distinction, and I know it's complicated, and it doesn't apply to everybody listening, but so if you have a business owner who happened to have a fairly good year in 2014, last year, and they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pay a lot of income taxes this year, uh, as long as they haven't filed their tax return yet in this year, they might be able to set up a, a SEP IRA and then make a contribution in 2015 and have it apply as a deduction back in 2014. Yes. Good. And what would have been better would be for that business owner to realize he had that profit back in 2014, then he would have had more options as to what plan to set up and, and mm-hmm. establish. Right. I guess sometimes people are so busy trying to run their business that they don't get around to doing it, which is why your services are so valuable, John. Yes. And, and again, ladies and gentlemen, we we're talking with uh, John Lally, uh, CPA from Fairhaven, 69 Alden Road. Yes. And to tell us your website again, John. So if somebody wants to look at more at what you do, I'm very impressed with your knowledge. I've talked to many, many accountants over the years. And I, I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, that when I'm se- sitting here talking with John, he's studying what I'm asking him, and he's not looking at a single piece of paper. And this is wonderful. It's like I agree with you. It's like having a great conversation here. He is terrific. Thank you. Uh, my website is www.jtlcpa.net. John, I, I assume that you must go to some ongoing um, uh, seminars yourself and training programs. Do CPAs have uh, requirements to take a certain number of courses every year for continuing education? Yes, that varies by state, but most states have a requirement on average, take 40 hours of continuing education every year. Good. And if you're like me, you probably read articles in your spare time and your free time. And instead of watching television, you're probably reading tax articles. Yes, I was catching up on, <laughs> I was catching up on some reading last night. Well, that's good. Yeah, man. No, we all do the same thing. It's, you know, when you're interested in what you are engaged in, like, Phil, you're so interested in the radio and everything you do. And it comes through in the microphone. Well, Thank you. I'm hoping that some of 
John's enthusiasm and my enthusiasm for taxes and helping people <laughs> save money comes through. Oh, it does. That's what we enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, it's course. just great, great fun. Well, we do a lot of work in the area of um, showing people how to make gifts as well. And again, it doesn't apply to everybody. But just a quick reminder that currently, if you make a gift to somebody, you can de- you can you can't deduct it. And we correct that right away. You can make a gift of up to fourteen thousand dollars a year to an individual or any unlimited number of individuals, um, and you don't have to file a gift tax return when you do that. And then again, one of my favorite strategies is to tell people, don't just write a check if you're going to give money to somebody. Put it someplace. Help the the person you're giving it to, the donee, help them show where to invest it or put it aside for a retirement account, and you can really multiply the value of the gift. So if anybody would like to make a gift to Phil Paleologos this morning, here's how you do it. P-A-L-E-O. <laughs> We're just kidding, of course. That probably violates some FCC rule, doesn't it, Phil? Oh, I, I would, I wouldn't mind getting that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we went too far me, with it, it would. <laughs> let me, I'll pay the penalty. <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray, that's a great point on the gifts, and the gifts accomplish two things. If your estate is large enough, um, typically the amount is about five five million dollars federal and a million dollars state, and this. So many different rules and regulations. I hate to just quote exact amounts off the top of my head. Mm. But again, a large estate, the $14,000 gift gets that money of your estate and can reduce your estate taxes. But what it does, too, is it takes that money out of your portfolio, let's say, mm-hmm. and less interest and dividends that you might be reporting. And if you gift it to a child, a grandchild, they would hopefully be in a lower tax bracket and then invested well they would pay a lower income tax rate on those interests and dividends. Right. So it has many, many benefits to do that. And again, not everybody can do that. But I do see people occasionally who say, yes, we give our children uh, each a check every year at Christmas time." And again, there's a lot of, a lot better ways of doing that when you do that. Um, so tax smart gifting, you know, make choose your gifts wisely and how you do it. And as you said, you can minimize estate taxes and you can minimize your own beneficiary's income tax as well. Right. And, Ray, you mentioned the 529 plan, uh, college savings before, too. You're allowed to do a five-year gift all at once and put five years times the 14000 into a 529 plan mm-hmm. and not have to file a gift tax return for that. Right. So you can do it all at once as a lump sum. And again, that takes the value out of your estate. And by the way, in Massachusetts, we have no independent separate gift tax. Um, So the gift tax that we're really concerned about is the federal gift tax. And Massachusetts just follows the guidelines of whatever the federal law does as far as anything of that nature is concerned. But, um, you know, you mentioned something else when you're talking about putting the money in the 529 plan that you can – you can do that, and by doing that as a lump sum, you can, you know, a five-year gift. You really reduce instantly the value of somebody's estate very quickly. But um, there was one other point I was going to mention about that. Um, I'll try to think of what it was. But, um, yes, tuition. You can pay tuition directly, and that doesn't count towards this $14,000 limit. So if you, if you are a grandparent and you have wealth, you can write a check for the tuition and it's not a taxable gift. You have to pay it directly to the institution, uh, usually. Um, you can pay these expenses without that payment being treated as a taxable gift. 
Uh, I guess actually you can pay it to the student um, or medical expenses, you can do the same thing. And those don't count against the annual exclusion amount of $14,000 you can give. Um, now, I believe the payment has to get paid directly to the provider, like to the hospital for medical bills or to the school for tuition. So another way you can do that, well, the rules go on and on and on. The tax code is extremely complicated. Uh, John Lally, CPA, and I love this. Um, and there aren't many people in the world who can say, I love taxes. I don't love paying taxes, but I love learning about them. So it is a great matter. John, I'd like to thank you so much again for um, being our guest this morning. You know, we've had many, many guests on over the years, and I have to say that although everybody has their own areas of expertise and enthusiasm and knowledge, um, you combine it all, and and you probably have, I would have to say, some of the most um, detailed knowledge of taxes and accounting rules of anybody that I've ever met, and it's a pleasure to share some time with you on the radio and Appreciate your being here. Thank you, Ray. I really love doing these shows. So um, one last reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to talk to John Lally about your income tax situation or how you can save money in taxes in general or have him work on preparing your estate plan, or more importantly, if you're a business owner, for example, uh, and you're not working with somebody who's helping you plan out your year for business purposes – and really, right from the beginning of the year, all through the year and end of year, you should be having that conversation uh, with whoever helps you with your taxes. And if you're not, give John Lally a call. He's at 69 Alden Road, 508-992-6500 is his telephone number. Thank you so much for listening. I've enjoyed this show thoroughly. I hope you've got some yes. information at home. Phil, you have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful. John, you have a great week also. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Phil. And thank you for joining us every week at this time for the Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys and brought to you by USA Wealth Group. Until next Sunday, so long, everybody.